Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. If you can build the people, you can develop a culture, then you can build the business. Today's guest sheds light on the importance of creating authentic relationships. He says, no people before you need them. My next guest is Kelly Cardenas. He's an author, podcast host, Forbes contributor, business coach, and CEO and co-founder of Kelly Cardenas Salon. This guy's like my long lost brother. We totally vibe. Listen to this one and be inspired. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts with Success Magazine. And today I've got my friend, Kelly Cardenas. Is it Cardenas or Cardenas? Because I've heard it both ways, man. Well, if you were talking to my grandma, you would have said it the first way, Cardenas. Because that's the real pronunciation. But we grew up, man, we grew up not speaking Spanish. And so people said Cardenas. And that's what that's what we say now. Got it. Okay. All right. All right. So it goes both ways. So there yes, you sir. go, man. Yes, sir. There you go. Well, thanks for being on. And for those of you wondering who Kelly is, do me a favor, just Google him right now. Kelly Cardenas. <laughs> You're in for a good treat. And I've got a question from you from the previous time we talked, because you said something really fast and I didn't have time to ask you then. And I want to start with this. Okay. You said no people before you ever need them. Mm-hmm. And and it, it was like, I had a few visuals in my head of that happening to me in my past. And I was like, that's that's powerful, man. Talk to me about that. Well, I, I think it's it's important because, you know, I think a lot of times people have a ulterior motive with relationships. And for me, um, my best friend, Will, probably one of the best examples of it. Um, I've been friends with him since I was in fourth grade and I know him. Um, I know him at the highest level. And if I ever need anything, I know I can call and I know it'll be taken care of. I could drop my kids off with him. I can give him all my bank account uh, uh, information. I could give him all my passwords, everything like that. And I know it's safe because I know who the individual is. And I've done this on the flip side of it. I've got into business with people that I didn't know. And those businesses ended really bad. And, um, (laughs) you know, and and I had to learn those lessons. So what I would, I would uh, encourage people to do. Um, is really, really, really get to know someone. And when people ask me about business, like when I first meet them, they're like, what do you do? My answer is I do cool stuff with my friends. You know what I mean? Like That's what I do. <laughs> that's and, so cool. and they're like, well, wait a second. Well, how do you make a living? I do cool stuff with my friends. My, my, my wife refers to it as another S word, but I do cool stuff with my friends. And, um, <laughs> that's so good. and you imagine that like, you know, and I'm not saying do business with all your friends. I'm not saying that because that could go wrong too. Yeah. But knowing people before you need them, I think is one of the most important things in, in, in business that you could ever uh, take away. Dude, I, I love that. What I took from that was create authentic relationships because as you create those, you'll see other opportunities where you can both help each other along the way. And I was like, that was so brilliantly said. So Kelly, good job on that. Now, you were in the salon world for 29 years. You said before you sold your business, uh, that's, that's a long time, man. That is, <laughs> that is a long time. 
I want to go into how you finally decided to to leave it and what were what were some of the limiting beliefs that you had to break through to say, you know what? I can do more than just salon work. I can do other things. Well, I think uh, the the first one is I wanted to go out like Seinfeld. Um, you know, I, I didn't I, I didn't want to be that old dude in the mall wearing a basketball jersey and a hip pack. And uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and if you are that guy, I want to I want to congratulate you, but I don't want to be that dude. And yeah. um, you know, I, I had experienced a lot of great uh, great things in the professional beauty industry, and it wasn't like oh I'm done with this and I don't like it anymore. I loved it; it was amazing. But you know, as simple as it would be, is just God let me know that it was time to go. And, um, and he wanted me to rely on him and not my stuff. Um, and that was hard because identity for 29 years was in the professional beauty industry. Yeah. And there's going to be people that listen to this right now that still think, oh, wow, you've got salons all over the country. I don't, we sold them all. And, um, you know, we're, we're focused on the podcast. We're focused on the, uh, you know, on the keynote speaking and the hideout, the hideout is, is something that's, that's massive for us. But I, I think the limiting belief part was, um, you know, are people going to take me seriously in this industry? Are people going to, and you, I think as human beings, we all go through this um, or maybe it's just me. I, I, maybe I'm alone in this. Um, but I, I think that it, it was a, a massive thing. And I, we've talked about it before, Tristan, where my parents gave me the wings that I call them um, to just try and, you know, try something new because they were constantly telling me that I wasn't my accomplishments. I was who I was. And, and, you know, and my dad kept telling me that there was only one business in the world, one business only, and that was the people business. And if you took the people out of the business, you had no business at all. And what I realized is that whether it be the professional beauty industry, whether it be real estate, whether it be the financial world, uh, yeah. no, no matter where you're at, it's just people. And if you can build them, if you can build the people, you can develop a culture, you can grow the business. Where do you start with building people because I find that find that a lot of leaders think they're building people, but they're really tearing them down. So where do we start with that? Well, I think first of all, stop watching uh, reality TV contests. Uh, where there's judges and those judges are telling people all the the horrible things about themselves. That's number one. That's a part of society that is big, right? But yeah. as far as a leader, what you want to do, and I think of it in three stages, right? Number one, respect and reverence where the person came from. This mm. is the part that nobody, I mean, very seldom a person takes the time to sit down with a person and respect and reverence where they came from, right? The reason why I say this is because you could tell a lot. My dad is from Ofer, in Utah. Ofer is a mining town. There's probably 35 people that lived in the town. He didn't have hot running water until he was 16 years old. And my dad was only 68 Whoa. when he passed away last year. So it wasn't like it wasn't available. He just didn't have it. But Got to it. know who my dad was, where he was from in Ofer, then, and him being uh, more brown than other people, meaning he was Mexican in Utah, which wasn't cool at the time. Mm -hmm. Understanding that, would help you to understand the language that he was speaking at the time. So if you respect and reverence where someone's at or where they're, where they're from, then you can encourage where they're at right now. Because what I used to do, and I, I got this out of line, right? So if you can respect and reverence where they're from, you can encourage where they're at, then you can show them where they can go. But I skipped the steps. 
And I used to just show people where they could go. So I would grab a, imagine uh. this in the professional beauty industry. Most of these kids come from, you know, meager, uh, beginnings. Yeah. And because if you are comfort from affluence and you tell your parents that you're going to be a hairdresser, they're like over my dead body. Right? <laughs> okay? yeah, so it's just, it's, it is what it is. So most of these kids come from not that much. And here I was because I had got over the hump. I would be in their face at 19 years old. Tristan, imagine this. I would grab a kid at 19 years old. I'd be like, Hey, you can make six figures and get down to four days a week. And these kids would freak out. They would like, and they wouldn't freak out in a good way. They would freak out like, Oh my gosh. And they would be like, well, 25,000 would be more than any of my family has ever made. And so I didn't respect and reverence where they were from. Mm. I was not encouraging where they were at at the particular time. And therefore I was just jumping the step and telling them who they could be. But if you get those things in line in leadership and you just get with your people, find out where they're at, right? Find, or find out where they're from, respect yeah. it. Find out where they're at right now, encourage it. And then you could show them where they can go. That's so, we, we usually start the reverse. We want to we wanna show them where they need to go right? Based on what we think. That's so interesting, man. I, I love that. Respect, respect where people come from and encourage them so they can grow into who you, who you think they can become, right? Because if not, it, it, it freaks, Tristan, it freaks people out, right? You know, it freaks people out where uh, I, you know, if you, if you come from like, from myself, I came from a one bedroom apartment, five people in the one bedroom apartment. We had a, a, a double wide mobile home on the side of the freeway at one point. Um, if you would have come to me at that time and been like, yo, you can make a million dollars tomorrow. I would have been like, what? I don't even know what that means. Yeah. But it was steps. It was steps. And, and when you understand where someone's at, then you can say like, you know, that I, I learned this about altitude. Altitude is the point in reference to ground level. Your point of mm. elevation based off a of ground level, but most of the time we don't take the time to understand where their ground level is. You know, their ground level could be, you know what, if I have a job, I'm the most successful person in the world. So encourage that person exactly where they're at because you know where they're from. And then you can open up to them. Maybe they're, they just having a job is the most successful. Now making, having a job and getting a $5 increase because I freak people out with money. I did. Because I, I found that this, this game that I played in the professional beauty industry, right? All it was, was numbers. That's yeah. all it was. It was very simple. It was very simple to make a hundred thousand dollars. It was only eight clients a day, five days a week for, uh, and that was 40 guests, 40 guests times six weeks was 240 guests. And if you had every one of them pay you a hundred dollars, uh, for each visit, you would only need 240 people in your community, spend a hundred dollars with you and you would make two a hundred thousand dollars. A year. It was simple. Yeah. It was yeah. just like that, but it wasn't simple to everybody else. And once I cracked that code, it became so simple, but then I was pushing it, slamming it down people's throat and people won't eat. <laughs> people, people won't eat unless they're hungry. Right, Tristan? Yeah, that's true. Or if they don't, like you said earlier, if they just don't see that picture yet. So how did you, how did you grow into believing that the sky was the limit, like there's no limit. How did you grow into that? Because it didn't start there. Uh, I mean, I think it was uh, my dad saying it over and over again. And, um, you know, I didn't know it, but he was reading a lot of uh, Ogmandino at the time. And 
Ken Blanchard. <laughs> That's you so know good. what I'm saying? And you're the you're the product of what he was reading. I love that. And dude. it's crazy because I just thought that this, like the my dad uh, read One Minute Manager, and he was in the military, and he had never managed before, and he barely graduated from high school. I don't even think he graduated from high school. And um, he read the book and then just went and put it into line. And he was managing exactly off that book. Well, all the sayings that my dad would say throughout the years, I was like, wow. And then when I got into this side of the industry, right? So I'm in the personal development industry and I started to hear these things. I was like, wow, that sounds like my dad. And then I would meet the author. <laughs> so like meeting, meeting Stephen M.R. Covey and hearing him. And I was like, damn, that sounds like my dad. And then I like my dad, <laughs> right? My dad growing up is this guy who read Stephen Covey and then getting Stephen Covey to send my dad a video and say, hey, pops, just want to tell you that you're awesome. The Ken Blanchards of the world, like getting Dude. to meet Ken Blanchard and telling him about my pops and, and him saying, oh, your pops is a wise man. And my, my dad hearing that. Um, it was first my dad, uh, you know, overcoming for him as far as mentality. And then it was him orating it to us over and over again. Then it was seeing my dad do it. Um, and then it was, you know, little bits and pieces. And I have to give a, a, a huge thank you to a guy named Robert Cromines because um, I asked him, I said, how do you become successful as a hairdresser? I was a young kid. I came to work with him. I was his assistant. And he said, um, go and have a nice dinner. And I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, that doesn't make me a better hairdresser. <laughs> That's really, really good advice. And That's Tristan, so good. and Tristan, I had never been, I mean, I grew up in Lompoc, California. Labote was the nicest restaurant. Shout out to them. They're amazing. Um, but I, uh, he said, go to a nice dinner. So I saved up my money. I listened to him. I went to the, had a nice dinner. And what I found was they called me Mr. Cardenas. They scraped the table with that little table scraper. They brought over water and they poured it in and they offered me this steak, which I had no idea what it was. I thought it was a filet mignon. And, uh, so and when I heard this, I was like, wow. And this is the way people live. And I came back and I was broke because I spent all my money on the nice dinner. And then I mm -hmm. asked Robert, I said, how does having that dinner last night, spending all my money, make me a better hairdresser? And he didn't answer. He just moved on. And then the next guest that sat in the chair, the only thing that I could talk about, cause I was so freaked out cause I was broke. I was like, Oh, I went to a dinner last night at so-and-so. And she's like, Oh, I frequent that place. And then I was like, Oh, did you have the filet mignon? Cause the guy had corrected me the night before from the filet mignon. And I said, did you have the filet mignon? She's like, Oh yeah, it's exquisite. And I love this. And I was like, Oh, and I love the, uh, the service. The service is just, and I started talking in this way and I connected with this lady for the first time where she used to think of me as nothing more than a service provider. And when she left, she was like, oh, Kelly, it was so great seeing you. Kelly, I'll see you in six weeks. I was the assistant making $5 an hour, but now she was talking about to me like a human. And what I realized was that most of the time, it's just bridging the gap. Sometimes money's the gap. Sometimes mm -hmm. experience is the gap. And uh, once I started to realize that, then I was like, man, you know, there's no limit to this stuff because there's some people who are really like engaged in watches. Okay, well, learn about watches. Then you can have a conversation with them about it. And now you become a person and we have a commonality, you know? And I used to be freaked out because coming from Lompoc, like, you know, people, uh, you know, would talk about cars or houses or whatever it was. And mm -hmm. then once I started to have friends who had those cars or those houses, and then when I became a man who had those houses and had those cars, then we got to lay them aside and realize that we were both human. And that's where the true connection happened. Yeah. That's a dude, very, very cool process there. I love that. 
So take me through when you finally realize that you wanted to open up your own salon. Take me through that process. Who helped you? How did you do it? Well, uh, number one, I got fired from my job. So I got fired on my day. <laughs> I got I got fired That's on my funny. day off like Craig, right? Like Craig oh, from dear. Friday. Well, why'd you get Friday? Why'd you, why'd you get fired? Why'd you get Friday? <laughs> <laughs> well, I made a managerial decision and uh, the, the company didn't agree with it. And they decided it was time to part ways. And it was amicable. It was, okay. you know, it was great. I'm still friends with them to this day. They helped me build my business. And That's um, cool. But I had an angel and I've never spoke about this publicly, uh, but I had an angel and her name is Julie Compton. And um, Julie Compton, uh, I had done some consulting work for her and uh, she kept telling me that the world is larger than what you see it. And I kept saying, no, no, I'm good, you know, whatever. And she kept telling me, no, it's larger than you see it. Well, I, little did I know she was one of the top entrepreneurs that I've ever met in my entire life and one of the most successful businesswomen that you could ever imagine. But she's the most low key. You won't find her on social media. Um, she's incredible. And um, when I, when I got fired from my job, this was before social media, I got fired at five o'clock on a Monday. It was the NCAA championship, uh, 2006. Um, so that was five o'clock by nine o'clock that next morning, she called me because she heard that I had got released. I don't know how, but it travels fast in the professional beauty industry, but at nine o'clock my time, she called me. And she was one of the only people that called me and was there for me in my life. And she said, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be sad, mad, frustrated, whatever you want for 24 hours. After that, you're going to get your ass up and you're going to go get a job. She said, I don't care what job it is. It just needs to be a job because we're going to keep you moving. And then she asked me, and I've, again, I've never said this publicly, but she asked me, she said, what do you need to start your first business? And I have no idea why, but I came up with a number and she said, okay, I'll send a check to you. And she sent wow. a check and she said, I'm not giving you this money. You are going to pay it back, but you are not going to pay any interest. You're going to choose the payment and you're going to commit to it. And if that payment doesn't come on that day, all that money's coming back to me. And she believed in me. And that's amazing. Um, if I didn't have that angel, um, but again, I got to know her before I needed her. I was thinking the same thing. How did you, how did that relationship start at the beginning? It was because I did some consulting work with her. And um, when I did, I, I worked with her salon and worked with her team and uh, she tried to be my friend. And I was like, it's business, it's business, it's business. And she kept trying to be my friend and she would send me cards and say hello. And it wasn't a romantic thing, anything like that. I, I'm super good friends with her husband and we're just, we're family. But she was truly reaching out and saying like, she is an angel in this world. She helps people. And she loves people. And she was trying to be my friend, but I was trying to be business. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, I was starting to realize that, wow, this woman doesn't need anything from me. She's not, all she wanted to be was my friend. And four or five years later. <laughs> I took you a while. I love that. Four or five years later, then she asked me, and she is the one that in the event that it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have a business. And she, she believed in me. And then, you know what, uh, like a year later, she was like, Hey, I see the way that that business is going. Why don't we open one in Chicago? Where, where was your first one that you opened? Uh, the first one, uh, was in Las Vegas. Okay. And got it. so, uh, it was actually a port here on Michigan. That was a partnership with a, a person. And then we opened in Vegas, uh, a second. And then she said, why don't we open in Chicago? And this is the reason why this is so funny with Julie, Julie Compton. Um, and again, you're not going to find her on social and you're not going to, but if you do, you are the luckiest person in the world because she is 
the best in business. Um, but she said, Hey Kelly, uh, can we open a salon in Chicago? And I was like, well, Julie, we just opened a salon in Vegas and I'm trying to get it moving and all this stuff. She's like, well, you don't understand. I go, uh, I live in Highland or Munster, Indiana, and I drive to Chicago after 10 hours of work. And it's about an hour commute, but I do it just to get Mario shaved ice. And when I do, I come back home and my friends ask me why I went to Chicago and I tell them Mario shaved ice and they all make fun of me. So she said, can we open a business in Chicago? So I have an excuse to go to Chicago and my friends won't make fun of me anymore. <laughs> this was no demographic search. This was no, like, you know, Chicago's the hottest market. She said, I like Mario shaved ice and I want an excuse to go there. Can we open it? And it became the most successful salon that we ever had. We had 1100 square foot. We did zero marketing, zero, zero zip, nothing. Actually, we spent $200 on one ad and it didn't work. I should have just paid someone 200 bucks to come in, uh, into the salon as a client, but zero wow. marketing. We started off with $400 in the bank, zero walk-in business, zero. We grew it in 1100 square foot with 19 to 24 year olds to $1.26 million a year in 1100 square foot. Wow, man. That's amazing. And it was run by, you know, by young kids, you know, they, and they, they believed, they believed in the culture and they grew the culture. It was amazing, amazing human beings. Um, Selena, uh, uh, Selena Arrigan, she's got a new last name now, I think Borges, um, Bobby Bosch, uh, Diana Monteleone, um, all these kids that, you know, believed and they believed in a culture and they grew it. And, you know, so for me, it was never like, it was never beating my chest. I always knew and stayed humble in the fact that if it wasn't for Julie, the angel, um, I wouldn't have the opportunity if it wasn't for all those kids in Chicago. Um, you know, the Sabrina's of the world, the Jen Wetzel's, the um, Eli Winters, you know, all these amazing, amazing human beings. If it wasn't for them, the Bobby Bosch's of the world, the Selena's, the Serena, um, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be able to experience what I did. So I wanted to make sure that I always knew that it was nothing more. And when I started businesses and as I start them in the future, it'll be nothing more than the stories. That's all I want. With the hideout, all I want is the stories of the Tristan's that come, cause I'm going to force you to, um, you know, I want your story. I want nothing else. That's, that's what I want from it. Cause the story is more, well, more valuable than the success of any business. Tell me about the hideout really quick. Um, so the hideout is getting to know people before you need them. Just exactly what we were talking about. And uh, you know, it's a, a two and a half days, uh, mastermind. Um, but it's, it's an uncommon mastermind, um, because we're focused on the joy um, we're focused on, on filling up the joy because we find that when you seek out joy in your life, then everything else will flow. And this is the place where men, most of the time we lose it. When we become successful in business, when we become successful and high flying in our careers, we lose that joy. And guess who is the collateral damage? Our wives, our yeah. kids, our friends. And I said this, and I'll say this quick. I was at a, a financial convention and they were talking about insurance and everyone was all in about insurance. And they were, uh, you know, I said, I have an insurance policy. When I went to speak, I said, I have an insurance policy. And they all started to listen. I said, well, what if I could guarantee you, um, 50% of your net worth, 30% of your income in perpetuity and your, uh, mental health. And, and I have a insurance policy for that. And everyone was like, Oh, wow, I'm in, I'll sign up now. And then I paused and everyone was like, well, what is it? What company is it with? And I paused and I waited. And then I said, stay married. 
Everybody laughed. Everybody, everybody <laughs> laughed for sure. Everybody was dying laughing. And then they started to think, because I tell you, I watch so many people that their, their success comes at the cost of their family. And that's what we want to, uh, two and a half days of hiking, biking, being out in the wilderness, hanging out. You saw the view and doing that. And when we Amazing come back, view. we'll be filled up and, you know, it'll, it'll pour out into our wives, our kids, our friends and our business. I love that, man. I love that a lot. So then tell me, you've got this second shop going in Chicago yeah. with amazing culture, young, young people believing in, in this amazing vision. What happens next? How do you transition into going to the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and then just growing this? Tell me about well, that. Well, it was just the same way as the other ones, right? My wife said, hey, I want to raise the kids by the water. And so I used to live in San Diego. So we went out to San Diego and we looked and we found a place in La Jolla. Uh, the deal fell through. My wife was eight and a half months pregnant. And I said, what do you think about the deal? And she's like, if you talk about this deal anymore, I'm going to punch you in the face. Cause you know, it's, I'm eight and a half months pregnant and I live in Vegas in 120 degrees. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I kind of got frustrated and I just looked on Craigslist. I found a salon in, um, Carlsbad that was for sale on Craigslist. And, um, my wife wanted to raise the kids by the beach and I didn't do a demographic search. I didn't do anything. And we dropped into this magical place called Carlsbad. Um, I took a bunch of kids like I did in Chicago with no funding, um, no marketing. And I sent them out on the street and said, Hey, go out and find people who are cool that want to come in and get their hair done. And we built one of the most successful <laughs> salons in Carlsbad, 800, 800 square foot. And this was all done by them. It wasn't done by me, 800 square foot. We, we were able to uh, get at our peak $880,000 in revenue in 800 square foot. Um, and this was done by 19 to 24 year olds. And what I, what we were able to do is help kids to, you know, get to six figures in a four day work week. Um, you know what I mean? Like this, this, it was amazing. And to be able to see it in the way that they, they owned it, it was, um, it was absolutely tremendous. And, um, we were super fortunate. And then I had this silly idea that, Hey, we've got one in Carlsbad. Why don't we just open one in San Diego? And I found this, this person called me and said, Hey, I'm going to sell my salon. Do you want it? And I came down, looked at it and we opened that one two weeks later. Um, we created the first, uh, um, uh, management contract. Cause get this, Tristan, we were in, uh, the four seasons in Maui for my brother's 40th birthday. And, um, I read the four seasons book and I turned to my brother at the pool and I'm like, I got it. He's like, what do you got? And I said, I got it, man. Cause the four seasons is a management company. It's, they don't own hotels. And so I was like, I want to be the first in the professional beauty industry to have a management company that if you owned a salon, you could hire us in as the management company. We'd bring the brand, the operations and uh, the day to day, and you would just be able to work, uh, you know, just own your salon. And there was a place out of Salt Lake, um, the Van Dongans, and they called and said, we want to do it. And so we created the first one in the history of the industry. And it was, it was amazing to be able to see what they did. Um, they started off when we started working with them, they had $39,000 in top line revenue the year before we started. And by the time we left, they were over a half a million. And um, so, you know, and that's how it just, it, I never did demographic searches. And then um, the opportunity with the Hard Rock Casino in Las Vegas came up. And so it was like, I traded the one in San Diego. I sold the one in San Diego to put the focus on the Hard Rock. And the hard rock really threw us into the global stratosphere um, because the marketing of the hard rock and uh, the hard rock itself and, you know, things like that. And it was just, we had a phenomenal run, man. I mean, it, it was, it was awesome. And um, like I was saying before, 
Um, I wanted to do it like Seinfeld. I didn't want to go out, uh, you know, and it didn't have to end. I mean, it was just, I just knew that my purpose, you know, God had let me know that, uh, you know, there was a, there was a different path and that he was going to provide in that path. And I, I tell you, I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was scary. And it, it, those things, um, are tough at times because identity, right. You know, cause if you, if you talk to people in my industry, they're like, Oh, Kelly Cardenas, he works with Paul, he works with Paul Mitchell and you know, all this stuff. And, you know, it was blazing a trail in a whole different realm, but I'm, I'm excited for the journey, man. My, my wife was like, you know, you know, she encouraged me last night. She said, uh, you know, uh, Kelly, your success is going to be in the, in the process of it. It's not going to be in the end result. And, allow yourself to sit in that process and in the nasty, the dirty and the building part of it. And that's what is going to be the best. That's so true, man. The successes in the process in, in every type of success, right? Relationship, family, everything. That's so, that's so nice, man. So well said. Tell me about the culture because I'm hearing successes, but I think a lot of your success in growing these amazing companies comes down to making sure that the culture is set because you're telling me, Hey, I got these 19 to 24 year olds. And if anybody's worked with 19 to 24 year olds, right. It's, it's not easy all the time. Right. But they do have this amazing vision, vision and ambition, right? How did you create this culture to keep them focused so that they can continue to help you grow? Well, I think it was a couple of different ways. Number one is like uh, for, for people to understand the reason why we were doing it, right? And the reason why we were doing it is we wanted to change the way that people looked at hairdressers by changing the way that hairdressers acted. Because what I learned early on in the industry, as in a lot of industries, um, the professional beauty industry, when I said I was going to be a hairdresser as a kid, a lot of people were like, uh, because of the way, and I was like, oh, I'm offended. I, you need to respect this craft. But then I got into the industry and I started seeing the way that hairdressers acted. And I went to hair shows. And I mean, a lot of times it was, you know, a ton of hairdressers getting drunk and just partying and whatever it was. And not everyone was like that, but I saw an element where a person looking from the outside could be like, yeah, this person is kind of fly by night or whatever. They were not on time to their appointments. They ran overtime. They didn't respect people's time, all these things. And I looked at it and it wasn't just the negative, but I looked at it and I was like, how can we shift this? Well, the number one, we can shift it is through the financial part, right? to create financial literacy for young hairdressers, for them to understand and know that they need to be financially literate so they can, so they can contribute in their community. Because if they live in the nice neighborhoods, then the kid growing up next door is going to be like, what does Mrs. Jones do? Oh, she's a hairdresser. Maybe I want to be one too. But this sounds so um, materialistic, but we had to look at it from that standpoint. So I wanted people to know why we were doing it. The second one was uh, for the, you know, in the culture was for people to understand the story of what the company was, but also for them to be able to add their story into it, right? So a lot of times people know the story of Nike and they work at Nike, but their story isn't linked to it. So they don't have as much ownership and there's a, a expiration date on them working at that company. Whereas when a person is in line with that story and their story is connected to it, it's like you have an evangelist for lifetime. And, you know, the, the next one, uh, you know, that I found was just asking people what their definition of success was. And that's going back to leadership, right? Knowing where people are from, knowing where they're at and knowing where they can go. 
and asking them their definition of success. And some people were like, my definition of success is working four days, having a three days with my family. Or some people were like, like a guy named Frank I used to work with, all he wanted to do was work. And that was success to him. And as long as I knew what that was, then I could help to be able to craft inside the culture, you know, and for him, you know, I would give him the opportunity to work more, right? Because that's what his, his definition. And the last one, what I found in building a healthy culture is just mm -hmm. to understand the threshold for your belief system. Because as Mike Tyson said, yeah. we, we all have a plan until we get punched in the mouth. And most people believe in this culture that's like placards on their walls until their company or their circumstances punches them in the mouth, which it will. And then they're like, oh, I didn't, you know, I have to react this way. And that's what I really wanted to make sure that we were the same and the dark as we were in the light and that that meant that we had integrity in our culture. And when you start to have that, like, and realize that culture is a living, breathing organism in your environment and in your organization, I tell you like magic happens because then there's, you don't have to have policing. You know, it's not about the CEO or the CFO or the manager or the mid manager, or I just, I got hired. No, it's the four seasons because the four seasons, this was crazy, Tristan, when I studied them, they give a, a unlimited budget to every single person in their company to make people happy. Wow. Dude, that just, that goes back to our previous conversation when you said, uh, that it's all about the people. I'm not in the hairdressing business. You said I'm in the people business. That's, that's pretty powerful right there. Well, and, and imagine, I mean, imagine that, like, you know, when I found out that about the four seasons, right. Imagine mm -hmm. in your company, if you had an unlimited budget to make people happy. Now, some people would be like, I don't want to give people that freedom because then it'll cost me, you know, and I won't be able to get the bottom line revenue. No, no, no. When you trust people at that level, like, yeah. let's, let's think about it. A porter, a person that's picking up the trash at the Four Seasons has the ability to comp your whole entire visit if they see that you're not happy. Now, do they do it all the time? No, but they have the ability to. And what type of power does that give and belief system? And when you could create evangelists, and this is all I did. Like I would create evangelists in our company and they would mm -hmm. evangelize the gospel of what we were doing. And then we would transfer that into uh, getting evangelists as guests. And once you have evangelists as guests and they're preaching the gospel of what you're doing, you don't need advertisement. You don't need PR. You don't need any of those things because the people are out there speaking about it and they're speaking from their heart. Dude, that's your second book after the three things you learned from your parents. Okay. <laughs> That's that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank I you. love that. All right, there's a, a there's a whole bunch of books I'm coming out here for you. Okay, so I, I need I need your help, Tristan. <laughs> you're you're the man in this, and I and I I have to thank you so much, man, because there's very few people at your level that 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 encourage people the way that you do. I mean, if you go back, if you're listening right now or you're watching right now, I want you to go back in this, and I want you to watch how many times uh, Tristan has encouraged me through this podcast. And you'll see a little magic that he has that he might not talk about all the time that he is constantly encouraging and building everyone else up. And does it make him any smaller? No, it makes him bigger. Mm -hmm. Very interesting, dude. I like, I like that you noticed that. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming I learned it from my parents as well, right? Mom or dad. But that's, that's interesting. I, as I was telling you about publishing books, I texted uh, Glenn Sanford, he's he's the owner of Success Magazine. And I'm like, dude, 
have you ever thought about creating a publishing company? Because I have somebody for you. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know where that's going to go, but I just texted him. There well, you go. I, to- I told Amy about it because, you know, I talked to Amy and a shout out to her. She is, she is really impacted and changed my life. And I was telling her, I mean, I, it, well, how awesome would it be to have a division, you know, in, in this company um, that is, you know, publishing books that are in line with what the principles that are spread anyway. Dude, then that means it's probably already come through his, <laughs> his, uh, his eyes and maybe me pushing him. will just push him over. Oh, so, that's awesome, um, man. dude, I, I love that. Let's go, let's go a little deeper in <laughs> when you're sitting at the pool. I think it was the pool you said next to your yeah. brother. And you're like, yo, I think I got it. Management company. How did you start outlining how this would look? Was it a lot of trial and error or did you already come in and say, hey, this is what it's going to look like? And it remained like that for the most part. Well, I think any culture uh, is a great question, Tristan, and any culture is a living, breathing organism, right? So it has to, it has to have iterations. I think about the iPhone, right? iPhone one, then it had an iteration to two and three and four. Um, As long as you realize that any of the rules in your company or in your organization are nothing more than a list of your screw ups, um, it gives you freedom to, to, to move and to, to create, right? Because most of the time people, you get into a company and they're like, these are the rules, these are the set rules. And then you're like freaked out. Like, I don't want to cross that rule. But once, once the people in the organization realize that all these rules are just a list of our screw-ups. And if we list out our screw-ups, it means people <laughs> tried something and we don't want to mess up again, right? So when we did the, uh, the management company, I did have framework because my dad was, my pops was very, very adamant when we first started my company. Uh, he worked in the power plant construction um, uh, industry after he got out of the military and he uh, was off for about four months. And this happened to be when we started our company. And he asked me, he's like, what do you do? And I was like, I do hair. And then he's like, what do you do? I said, I do hair. I said, what do you do? And I was like, okay, pop, obviously I don't know. So tell me. <laughs> he was like, he was like, when you get to the salon, what do you do? And I was like, I get out of my car. He said, write it down. I said, okay. And he said, what do you do next? I said, I get out of the car. I open the door to the salon. He said, which way do you turn the handle? He said, write it down. I said, I walk in the door. Which way do you turn? Write it down. And we wrote down every single process and procedure that we did. And we wanted to dumb it down so a four-year-old could read the book and do it. And what I encourage organizations and when I work with them and when, uh, you know, when I consult with organizations, I go over their procedures. And if my son at 10 years old, couldn't read your rule book and accomplish what it is, then we need to make it simpler because we need to communicate with all people and make sure that in the event that that person doesn't show up, that you could read the list off and it be so simple that the communication is at a high level. So because of that, when we went into the management company, um, we had those things listed out, but then we allowed ourselves the space to innovate, try new things. If it worked, we wrote it down, we systemized it, and it became amazing. If it sucked, it became a rule of what not to do in the future. That's so, dude, when you were saying rules, rules are a list of screw-ups, I was thinking, interesting. The Ten Commandments, like those are all things that we screwed up on. Right, right. Like, oh, that's just so funny. I never saw it that way. That's so good. And imagine how much freedom as kids, like if your parents said, here's the rules for our, our vacation. And 
And they said, well, we're not going to run in the middle of the street because Uncle Jimmy ran in the middle of the street. His leg got ran over. And that's the reason why he has no leg today. Like, and you were like, wow, okay, that rule makes sense. This rule makes sense. So good. You know, give a reason, give Give a a reason reason. for every rule. That's so good. And if you find, you know, rules without relationship cause rebellion. That's your third book, dude. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm saying we just need to collaborate on them and we need to work together on them. That's right? so good. It rules without, tell me that again, rules without relationships cause rebellion. Yes. That's so good. I, I'm listening in with my entrepreneur hat, right? Business owner. And I'm thinking, okay, got it. That makes total sense. Right now I'm thinking, okay, family man, Right. That makes total sense too, right? It kind of across the board. So that's, that's, it's very interesting. Well, I I I give, I give, uh, I give so much credit to my pops because my pops always taught me and my mom always taught me on principle-based learning and principle-based success as opposed to circumstantial success. And circumstantial success meant that I could only succeed in one area of life or one uh, lane or one niche. But when you work principle-based, right? When you just said that, like that can apply to my business. It can apply to my, my marriage. It can apply to my kids and principles are principles. There's not that many of them. They're not, they haven't changed over the years. And I mean, sometimes we change the language to them, but if we understand principle-based, then we can build our, our businesses, our relationships on principles. And that is the firm foundation that a lot of times we're lacking, whether it be in leadership or, you know, in, in growing a company or even in our marriages or with our kids. That's so true, man. You, you mentioned something earlier when you were talking about the 19 to 24 year olds that you were, that you were in partnership with to grow your, your companies. And I thought it's very interesting because Jim Collins says it and i don't know if he says it in good to great or built to last in one of those two he says i i do my best to hire people and you should too he says that you don't want to always be looking to make sure that they're doing their job but that they're sold on the vision so all they need is leadership and i thought of you and i was like that's exactly what you did man thank you and that that's brilliant Thank Very you. brilliant. Did you read Jim Collins' uh, How the Mighty Fall? I haven't read that one. Is that is that good? See, that one's amazing, and it's not very talked about, but it's amazing because he takes you through the, the five steps that every one of the good to great companies that did fall, they all had the similar traits, and there was five of them in there. And it's it's a smaller book. It wasn't something that most people talked about. Um, and it was probably like whenever I asked them if they're a Jim Collins fan, which Jim Collins, I, I love you. You're amazing. And I want to thank you for your amazing wisdom. And I tell you how the mighty fall really changed my life because I was at a high point in my, in my career and on the upswing and I was reading it and it helped me to get prepared. So I didn't make this crazy fall. Dude. I like that. All right. I just added that to my to read <laughs> list. I mean, what are what do you currently read? Um, what, what books do you gravitate to? Uh, corresponding proverb, corresponding day right now. Um, it's massive. Um, so there's 31 proverbs and there's 31 days. And, <clears> and, and, and uh, I, I encourage a lot of my friends, you know, 
because a lot of times they think, oh, you're trying to Bible beat me. I'm not doing that. I'm saying every single book in our industry, the personal development industry, every single mm-hmm. book is based off of Proverbs. And when you read the corresponding uh, proverb corresponding day, I'm telling you, like I had a guy uh, that it was, I can't remember the exact book, but there, there was a challenge. He said, if you do this for a, a year, you will uh, triple your income. And I was like, I want to check this out. <laughs> I'm verifying and, this. <laughs> and it's been amazing though, because honestly, it's, it's, it's principle-based, right? I mean, everything mm. has been principle-based. And what I'm finding is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, really gravitating, to, uh, gravitating towards that. I'm reading uh, John Gordon right now. Um, this is marketing. Um, Dude. Is it John, John Gordon? No, Seth. Uh, is it Seth Gordon? or This is marketing. Uh, Seth Godin. Seth Godin. Yeah. Seth yes. Godin. Um, so really I was good. phenomenal. Um, and then I just finished, um, what was the one I'm reading, uh, money master the game with Tony Robbins. Um, I like that. That yes. one is a, a great one. And then, um, there's one other one. I'll, I'll think of it when, when I come up, what are you reading with, right now? Well, with the Seth Godin one, dude, I found that I don't know if it was just me, but every, like, I felt like every other line I had to like, I was like, Oh my gosh, another highlight and note. I'm like, oh, and, was, and the book's so tiny. Oh, it was amazing. It's amazing. And I'm just, I, uh, yeah, this is marketing. That one, um, that one was amazing. And, uh, I, if you sell mine, cause I read it on my remarkable, um, it's marked up, it's annotated. I mean, every line, like every line. So <laughs> it, it, I, I've wanted to meet him. Uh, I just think he's an absolute genius. Um, and you know, I've wanted to meet him over the years and I think he's incredible. The last, uh, the other one that I just finished was winning by Tim Grover. Um, you know, I've heard about that one being amazing. So let me write that one down. Winning. And I, I just think, uh, I think Tim Grover is, is, is incredible. And, you know, there's sometimes where people will think, oh, that's too aggressive. But I think that if you really read through the book, and you sit, it's a lot of times, uh, it's a mirror to who you are. So sometimes the uncomfortable part in reading the book is because there's stuff in you that that is, you know, my dad said that, uh, God brings sandpaper into our lives, um, to sometimes sand down our rough edges Mm. where we think that people are rubbing us the wrong way, but that's God's way of being able to sand off our rough edges is that's what my pops used to always say to me. That's accurate. (laughs) <laughs> That's accurate, man. I love that. All right. Where do people follow you? Where do they get more of you? Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, website. Give me everything. Uh, so Instagram, uh, the real Kelly Cardenas. TikTok, help me out here. I don't have t- great TikTok game. And my daughter would think I was cool if it was at the real Kelly Cardenas 23. On LinkedIn and Facebook and all those things is Kelly Cardenas. And then kellycardenas.com. That's the hub um, for everything. Um, the podcast is the Kelly Cardenas uh, podcast on uh, Apple, uh, Spotify. We're on Pandora, iHeartRadio, um, and soon to be on the uh, success uh, uh, side. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love that, man. I love that. Well, thanks for jumping on. I really appreciate that. There's so much more we could have talked about. I took uh, I took a whole bunch of notes, buddy. So that was a uh, I love, and I want to tell you how much I respect you, not only just in, in your profession, uh, Tristan, but I've watched you over the time that we got spent together, not only this time, but you're always constantly writing. And I want to share something with you quick. This one here, um, you probably won't be able to see the, uh, cause of the lights. Um, 
Can you see that? I see it. I see you it. You see the numbers on the top of the page? Two. And then the date. Is that what we're looking at? Yeah. So the, uh, what, read the date. 227. And I can't read the, the year. Can you read it now? Two, what? No. 50. Am I reading it wrong? 22786. So 2786. Okay. So what is that date? 22786. February 27th, 1986. These are my notes that I used to have to take when I was a kid. I used to have to take 10 pages of notes on all those success courses that my dad would take and listen to Augmandino and all those things. And <laughs> these are the 10 pages, 10 pages of notes. This is one of my notebooks from 1986. And these are the principles. Holy cow. These are the principles that I built every single one of my businesses on. And I wrote it out when I was 10 years old. Wow. That's so funny and so, amazing. And well, amazing. And, and the reason why I say this, uh, Tristan, is because, um, you know, you listen at a rate that very, very, very few people do. And you engage and you encourage. And uh, it's no wonder. It's no wonder why you're able to do what you do, man. I mean, it's, Thanks, just, it's, it's those little things and you see, you see them and I want to encourage it and I want to, I want to, uh, you know, I want to celebrate it too. So I appreciate that, man. Let's celebrate together. You got it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you for being on, man. I appreciate that. You got it. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.